What's up, everybody? We are here today for the first episode of an exclusive podcast and video series called Viking Vibes, an exclusive look inside the world of St. Joseph by the Sea High School located in Huguenot in Staten Island. My name is Anthony Rapp. I am the Director of Development over at St. Joe's. Proud to be here, proud to be a part of this brand new series, pioneering the way in which people are doing communications. St. Joe's is always at the forefront of everything. And I believe, we'll fact check this, but I believe that St. Joe's is the definitely the first high school in the region, if not the first high school in the country, to put together a sort of podcast and video series like this. So we're very excited to be here. We hope you guys follow us and subscribe and share this content. We're going to bring in new guests. We're also going to bring in new hosts because after all, no one really wants to hear from me and no one cares. But today we are so happy to have our first guest with us, Dr. Sarah Goriglia, who is the Vice Principal of STEM at St. Joseph by the Sea. And she is also a former Columbia University and Princeton University research scientist. And there's a lot more. I just am not intelligent enough to just say it all. Dr. G, tell us a little bit about your titles. Give me, give me all of them. He's plenty intelligent, but I have a lot of titles, probably more so than Daenerys Targaryen does in Game of Thrones. There you go. So I am also a research scientist at the New York State Institute for Basic Research and Developmental Disabilities. And there I am a head of a laboratory, and I study neurodevelopment and environmental health. And I'm also head of their digital imaging facility, which means that I take care of their confocal microscopes and their electron microscopes, and I help to design experiments with those as well. So we can get into all of that, I guess. I lost you at confocal. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) We're going to get into it. You have a tremendous following and a tremendous impact on the research community as it relates specifically to autism. Correct me if I'm wrong. So as it relates to autism. And many years ago, and I don't know how many, but you can correct me. Many years ago, you were approached by Father Riley. I was. To join the St. Joseph by the Sea team, which is not conventional. Let's talk about that right off the bat. You're Columbia University, Princeton University, head of everything you just mentioned. And now you're also an, a vice principal at St. Joe's. Talk about that. Okay. So I started, I started teaching right after my bachelor's degree. I was taking a gap year. And I started teaching under, in 2002 under Monsignor Ernst, and I worked as an AP bio teacher from 2002 to 2009, and I was pursuing my master's degree and my doctorate at that time. So wow. I was in NYU doing my master's in biology with a concentration in biochemistry. Shout out to NYU yes, grad. NYU. I don't have any of the letters after my name, but I did graduate there, so I, NYU I feel NYU was good. great. It was a great school. It was fun. Yeah, so I went to NYU. Then afterwards, I went to CUNY, and I did my research at IBR, the Institute for Basic Research, right here on Staten Island, which is a hidden gem that... uh, Oh, we're going to get into that, yes. Yeah, we need to learn more about what we do there. And I graduated in 2009, then went on to... I had to leave state at that point because I was taking all my postdoctoral studies. I went to the Albert Einstein College of Medicine, and I was studying... I was in the Department of Molecular Pharmacology for a few years, And then I came back to Staten Island and Father Riley approached me and said, hey, why don't you come back and teach some AP bio? And I did. I came back as an AP bio teacher and I was still doing research. I was actually working as an AP bio teacher and working at Columbia simultaneously as a research scientist. I seem to always talk about a commute. It was a bit of a commute from the South Shore of Staten Island to the most northern part of Manhattan every day. But it was great. And that's why I was able to maintain it. So I teach in the morning, go do my research. I studied lead neurotoxicology under Thomas Gularte, who was probably one of the best research scientists for toxicology in the world. Guys, you got to Google him because I know I don't know who that is. He's great. FIU. Shout out to my old lab. He's now the dean down there. And he's. We, I worked with them for five years while I was working at C. 
And then when my lab moved, I became vice principal and I started the ISR here. Right. Um, so we're going we're yeah. to talk about ISR, but one thing I want to make mention of, it's so important. And even though I'm going to give Father Riley credit for this, it's really credit to you as well, because you both were in a position to give the kids and the families and everybody at St. Joe's something that no one else has. No one has access to you as a teacher. It's just, it's unheard of that people are learning hands-on. And father was like, we'll take a shot. You were like, I think it's a good idea. And now because of that, how long has that program been involved in that? We're going to talk about the ISR. So we started it very small in 2015. Okay. And I only had a few research students at that time. And it stems off of when I was a doctoral student. I wrote a grant and I had five research students back in 2007. Okay. And we went to the Eastern Conferences Sciences, the conference, science conference. I was working with Wagner College, who was really helpful and instrumental in that. And we were thinking, like, let's try to get that started again, that right. research again. And it started small in 2015. And what I did was is I learned about I learned about the New York City Science and Engineering Fair. Okay. So this was an avenue for the students to do research and then present research at a conference, which is like what we do as scientists. Right. So, so we go to big international conferences. We present our research before it's published in journals to each other so we know what one another is doing and any things that may be interesting that we should be sharing. So this was an avenue for the students. So we started putting them into the NICEF, the science fair. And our kids were doing really well. So they were doing research with me, but I was taking – we were doing a lot of the research at sea right. in the biology lab upstairs. But then when they needed like the heavy microscopy or the heavier equipment, I would have to take them to like CSI or I'd have to take them to IBR in order to do that. So that's like a little bit tricky because sometimes the microscopes aren't like – let's say, available during the daytime. So I'm not going to have students come overnight and do things. I'm so, so glad you're going exactly where I want you to go because this I could just sit down and be quiet because you're leading me right where I want. Go. Oh, fantastic. I love doing that. That's great. Yeah, so that we ended up doing, we ended up with that and more and more students wanted to join ISR and were interested in the research we're doing. So most of them do research is based on what I do because my background is, I'm very interested in the environment and how the environment influences neurodevelopment. There's a, when we think of environment, you don't only think, a lot of people think, oh, environment toxicants. And that's true. Absolutely. Right. We're constantly bathed in toxicants. But it's the dose that makes the poison. Especially so, with that recent Canadian air, right? Oh, that, that, that was pretty, <laughs> pretty wild. I was wearing my mask inside because I couldn't Canadians. breathe. I know. That was rough. It <laughs> was very rough. But yeah, so like you get exposed to toxicants and when you get ex exposed to toxicants, especially while you're pregnant or perhaps I, perhaps even before a woman becomes pregnant, because toxicants can sit in your fat tissue for extended periods of time, okay. it could influence neurodevelopment. So anything that goes wrong in neurodevelopment, especially when you're dealing with early neurodevelopment, it lays down a developmental trajectory where Every every instance later on, the sequence of events can then be changed by something that happens previously. I'm always interested in what's happening during neurodevelopment and how does that influence later on outcomes. So my students started becoming interested in finding out like studies that I've done. I worked on Brick Township toxicants and a whole. I worked on lead. I worked on PFOAs and so on. So they started doing research in those areas too. And we started using zebrafish embryos. We use planaria. We use non-vertebrate organisms, and we studied the effects of these toxicants and how to remediate them, which I think is even more important. Right. So like when we're, when we're looking to see like what a toxicant does and we say, hey, okay, it's causing too many synapses in this brain region. Let's see if we apply this drug that we know has, has already an FDA-approved drug to see if it remediates that problem. Right. So the kids are not only worrying about 
finding the pathology of what's happening in response to an environmental exposure, we're also looking to see how we could remediate it. So in addition to that, I just want to pull it back for one second, because at some point from 2015 till now, Mm -hmm. St. Joe's made a major investment to renovate what you had said earlier was the biology lab, a beautiful wing with a microscope that I can't pronounce the name of it, but is one of the only microscopes of that type on the East Coast outside of a college and university. So talk to me about that. Now these kids have access to not only you, but now one of the most advanced facilities probably on the East Coast. Go ahead. Yeah. So what ended up happening was is as the program was growing and we had more and more interest in it, there, we talked about, hey, let's make this easier for the students and put the equipment that we would need right here at St. Joseph by the Sea. But that sounds easy. Not to interrupt you. Like that, that's, that sounds like it. something. And I was like, oh, you know what? We're just going to do that. But because of, of the way and your relationship with the kids and the success of the program, father, let's call it what it is. He took a risk, right? And it paid off exponentially, but the risk of investment and constantly building out, you deserve credit for that because it wasn't just, oh yeah, we're going to go spend three, $400,000 on a new lab. And it just happened. It was a big arduous task and it worked out great. So congratulations on that. You deserve, you. you deserve a lot of credit for that. Now appreciate you can continue. It. Appreciate it. Yeah, no, it's, I've been working in labs for years, so I know what a lab needs to function. And I'm very appreciative that Father Riley trusted me to make those decisions because they were pretty much unilateral decisions. Right. I'm telling him, I need this piece of equipment. He's like, all right, I don't know what that is, but great, buy it. We ended up with the confocal microscope, which there are right now three on Staten Island, and I currently work on two of them, two of the three. So I have- Where's the third? We got to go find it. It's at CSI, and I have access to that. I'm I'm good friends with the director of that facility, too. If you don't have access to all of them, that's it. Well, I was actually the director of that facility for a while. Of course (laughs) you I have two of the three microscopes. So the IBR one that we just got, which is a flow view and it's fantastic microscope. And the ISR at sea, we have a confocal microscope there that the kids can image on. And a lot of the kids now that have come back to work with me learned to image on that microscope. So now they're, which I think this is great because it's full circle. A lot of the students that worked with me during their high school years are now coming back to me at IBR and they're working with me there. And we're finishing studies that we started years ago that we wanted to complete and work on. And now not only – so now we're going to try and bring it – make it in sections. So not only do kids have access to you, an expert in the field that no high school student has access to, now they have access to – one of the best research facilities, and I'm going to say on the East Coast, at least for a high school level. For, for a high school, it's beyond. Yeah. Okay. I, okay I will, on a high school I, level. On a high school level, I don't know of any other high school that has our equipment. Fair and, enough. And I play yes, everything, you know everything. play everything so, down. And so it's big. On a high school level, access, technology. Now, the last piece of this that I think is the most interesting is that these kids are now being published in medical journals in high school. Talk about that. So we when so the high school fair the NICEF is great because they do get a publication for that for participating in NICEF and their abstract gets published, but what we also do too is that the research that my students are doing is not only like a high school level it's you it's world science when the stuff that they're doing has applications to laboratories and global public health so. We go to, for example, the Society for Neuroscience meetings. So those abstracts that the kids write are published. So like right now, I've lost count at this point, but we've been going since 2017. And I would say on average, I'm sending about five a year to that. So So now for someone like me, not Mm -hmm. as intelligent, someone listening and watching, what that means in layman's terms is that these kids in high school 
are now able to apply for college and say that they have been published in a medical journal, yes. which is in my world, unheard of. Is there anyone else that you know of in the region doing this, giving kids access to this? I've never heard of such a thing outside of med school and college. The only schools that I've seen there is, I think it was, I think, Friends School, which is like the school the presidents send their kids to. That was okay. the only and time fair like, enough. I've I mean, seen like other students, and it was like one other poster that I've seen down there. So no, it's and not- St. Joe's in Staten Island in Huguenot that's yeah. raising the bar on a national level to get kids access to these things. Yeah, that's true. Unbelievable. Yeah. And now the evolution, because you said 2015, now we're 2023. We had that little COVID stint, yeah. as we all know. But right after COVID, back in action, doing stuff. So talk about the evolution of where you are now with the lab, what the kids are researching and what you're looking forward to in the upcoming school year that's going to start in a couple of weeks. Yeah, so we have – the research that we've started was re- originally in zebrafish. And zebrafish is a great model, but to do behavior on a zebrafish is a little bit tricky because you have to do it in three dimensions when okay. you're measuring motion on them. So we reverted into planaria. So I want to talk about my worms. I'm planaria. Very, Let's talk about I want to talk about my worms. I'm really excited about Before them. Before you do students that, qu- are. qualify it. What is planaria? What will, are planaria? All right. So what a planaria is a platyhelminthes worm. And you can cut this thing into 600 different pieces. And How each, big is it? It's tiny. It's about one centimeter. So you can cut a one centimeter species or organism yeah. into yeah. 600 pieces. Yes. And each one of them will grow into an entirely new worm because 30% of the body is made from stem cells. So it's like when you cut a lizard's tail off and it grows back. Except this thing grows ahead. Yeah, exactly. So it is. It's regeneration is what it is. So we use that because we're trying to do high throughput models for neurotoxicology research. So basically we take the worm. We don't cut it into 600 pieces. We cut the head off. The head grows a new tail in about a week. And that tail grows an entire new brain in a week. So we wish can, I could do that. I know, me too. It's Every so weekend, bang. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that'd be fantastic. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Grow back my brain cells. We do have neurogenesis in the brain too. That's actually a myth, by the way, for anybody listening in your hippocampus, which has uh, is in charge of your short term memory, and in the olfactory bulb, which is your nose. There is actual neurogenesis. Any, the olfactory, I knew that. The olfactories, one. yeah. So that's why, like for example, when people get COVID, like eventually the sense of smell returns because right. those neurons can grow back. They grow back. Yeah. So this is also too exercise helps your hippocampus. By the way, so make well, sure you exercise. Say, I mean, Again, I don't know anything, but they say that everything regenerates every year. No, the liver takes six months or lungs take five years or don't, isn't it? Most your things, skin comes back. Most no? things do, but brain and muscle tissue is supposedly the non-regenerative, oh, non-regenerative, but there are parts of brain that do, but going with the planaria, their entire brain regenerates. So you have this worm that has now, you cut its head off. It has absolutely no brain at all. And in seven days, it grows a juvenile brain and in 14 days, a full adult brain. But are they smarter than the last one? That's a good question. Ah, and we do this and I'm going to get, I would like to get into that because I have a student that's been working with me for years and she figured out a very good behavioral task and I want to give her a shout out as well. And actually my whole team, we study the, these animals because you can now look to see what a toxin does literally from cell one to adulthood in okay. two weeks. Wow. Whereas if you deal with a mouse model, my background is mostly in mouse and in rat models. And so for example, it's first you have to get the animal preg- cause pregnancy. There's 21 days of gestation in mouse. Then there is another 21 days before the animal is even weaned. So you're dealing with almost six weeks just to get a a mouse that's like a juvenile mouse. Yeah, sample. With me, I can cut my animal's head off and I have a full adult in two weeks. So it really speaks. Anyone who just tuned in at that point was like, wow, what's going on? (laughs) I could cut my animal's head off and. Yeah, what's going on in St. Joseph by the sea? The decapitation queen. That's my. 
So yeah, but it's cool though that you can see everything that's happening in two weeks. So it gives us this capacity for high throughput modeling. Typically in research, people would use cell culture, which is basically you take culture, you take cells from a living organism and you grow them in a Petri dish. But the advantage of this is that when you're dealing with the planaria versus cell culture, a cell culture, you're just looking at the cell. You're looking at cellular biology, maybe the biochemistry of it, the molecular biology, but a cell can't behave. Not the actual organism. Right. Just right. The exactly. It's, not, it's a piece of the organism right. where we have an entire organism. So now we can look at how they socialize after they're exposed to these toxicants. We can look at how they learn after they're exposed right. to these toxicants. So you have not only are you looking at the neuropathology from a cellular or a molecular level, you're looking at it from a behavioral standpoint, which is what's really important to us because really in all actuality, you only care about your neuro your status your neurostatus when you look to see if there's a change in the behavior. Right. If something's wrong. Right. If exactly. everything's good, you're not worried. Yeah, exactly. So that's the importance of using an animal model in the research. So now we've worked to because it's okay how do you train a worm so people like i mean we work especially with, a three centimeter or one centimeter big worm yeah and it's it's amazing though because like we are we good thing you got that big microscope we do we have a big <laughs> microscope to do it and we've de- developed so many different apparatuses and things to to train these worms but yeah i'm a worm trainer like i i think That's about nice. yeah sometimes i get you your have, t-shirt yeah, exactly. It's like an existential crisis. It's like, how did I get to this point in my life? I'm shocking a worm with a battery. So train it to go in a maze. But like, this, but this is, but this is how we do it. So we have, for example, we've modified mouse behavioral equipment to focus in using microscopes on the worm. So we can look at, for example, like how fast the worm moves, where it's moving to in a specific arena. So we can right. give it like different types of mazes to go through. We could look to see if they have like repetitive types of behaviors. Which and you're really, saying that based on stimuli, these things are actually yeah, reacting to yeah, it. Yeah, absolutely. They react. So That's like, crazy. for example, like they have, we, there's a lot of studies and we were doing this for years that show that like the worm prefers dark over light. So we were training the worm not to go in the dark. It's some, it's basically a passive, what we call a passive avoidance task. Okay. So we would shock the worm when it went into the dark. So it learned don't go into the dark, even though you like it better. Okay, but we've what we found out is that like when you're doing it on individual worms, this works. But when you're doing this in groups, it doesn't work that well. And one of my students, Mary Grace Scotto, who has been with me for since she's 14, and now she's going to medical school, and she's been doing research with me throughout all of her college. She'd come back in the summer, has figured out that there's something more that the animals prefer. It's basically a convex circle versus a concave circle. So you can train the animals in groups using that. So the animals like to go towards the concave opposed to the convex. So she's trained them to go to the convex. divot versus hill. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And she's trained them. She figured this out. So this kid sat in the lab and figured this out, shocked these worms, did every iteration of this thing possible. Yeah. So we need to publish her work. And it's her work. There's a lot of them that have worked with me for years. Alyssa Marandola, University of Tennessee. James Merlino has been working with me. Nicole. Magnavita, there's been a lot that have worked with me over the years. And also social behavior assays, these things socialize, they're friendly with each other. So that's cool. You wouldn't think of a worm as having Two friends. worms walk into a bar. Yeah. No. <laughs> well, actually, the alcohol does have an effect on them. We've done those studies too. That, that's interesting. Yeah, that's the, fun. The, they're the opposite of people. I think people. I've had different drunken worms than we're talking about though. They were like, they were like gummy <laughs> flavored. Ones, yeah, they yeah. were different. They were a little different. <laughs> so talk about how I know a lot of what you do recently is mm-hmm. focused on autism. Yes. And unfortunately, the reality is that Staten Island has a very high concentration of, of autism. It's unfortunate, but it's true. And a lot of the research that you're doing in the labs at St. Joe's is focused on 
autism and spectrum awareness. And so tell us a little bit about what you've found and what you plan to do, at least in the school year, to, sure. to continue that. Absolutely. So a lot of the work, the stuff that I'm talking about is relevant to autism spectrum disorders okay. because social behavior is one of the behaviors that's impacted in autism spectrum disorder. So what we look to see is what types of things impact the social behavior in the worms and how do we remediate it. it. So that's why we, that's actually the reason why we study social behavior in the worms. Understood. That makes sense. We're not really, hey, how cool is it? A worm makes friends. No, right. we're really looking at it from the context of an autism spectrum disorder. It's the same thing with the repetitive behaviors too, that kids that have autism spectrum disorders typically have repetitive behaviors. So routines we're, and yeah, stuff, right? Yeah, that they like have a specific routine that they need to follow. They have specific things that they like and they get very upset if they don't see them or they Got like it. to line things up. So like, for example, like with our worms, we look at like the repetitive behaviors that occur after they have an environmental type of exposure. Okay. So that's another thing too. You do see sometimes changes in locomotor activity, although that's not really a, co- a core symptom of autism spectrum disorders too. We look at reversal learning. A lot of times with learning, there's not, no learning impairment necessarily with an autism spectrum disorder. Okay. That's not criteria. But a lot of times reversal learning or having to unlearn what you've learned, it becomes routine or habit. So it's a little Got bit it. harder for a person with an ASD to back out of that, Understood. out of learning. So we look at that in the animals. So basically this year, what our students will continue to do is we're now at the point where we have these assays and we're, we have these assays and we're confident in them that they're replicatable, that they're accurate. Okay. And what we're looking at now is how when you perturb specific neurotransmitter systems, meaning, so for example, you guys have probably heard of glutamate or GABA, maybe serotonin, dopamine. So when you perturb these specific neurotransmitter systems during early neurodevelopment, so now that we have this model, we can look, hey, what happens when you perturb during like early neurogenesis when neurons are being born versus like late neurogenesis to try to see how these neurotransmitter systems impact overall development. And if they do, can we reverse out of it with specific medications? So that's what the students are really probably going to be really going to be looking at mostly. This I feel year. like I'm getting smarter just by absorbing the knowledge coming off of you, like by osmosis. I'm becoming more intelligent by the minute. No, no, uh, so a lot of technical stuff, a yeah. lot of cool stuff going on, but let's just dumb it down just a little bit. If we have any potential students who are watching or listening or any parents that are even current parents of kids that are there, talk a little bit about how this advantage is truly setting up either their children or the students themselves for success in the future and how St. Joe's has helped make that possible. In terms of setting, in terms of setting yourself up and for this, for an advantage with it is, is that when you apply to a college and you have research experience and you say, this is my published abstract, or if you have a full published paper, that's a big deal. Okay. To have that because typically, even when you talk to most undergraduate students they are not published, you usually right. start getting published when you're in graduate school. So you're talking like years ahead. Yeah. Right? About six years, six years. Yeah. Wow. Okay. okay like that's, typically, that's amazing. I didn't have my first publication until I was, I had the late start and a, a very strange start, but I didn't have my first paper until I was actually out of graduate school, which was unusual, but I didn't know I was graduating when I was graduating. I thought I had an extra few years and they were like, no, you're done. I'm like, oh, okay, great. See ya. <laughs> that's what happens when you're a genius. No, I had no idea. I walked into my, my what they call a defense, your proposal defense right. with my preliminary data that apparently wasn't preliminary. Apparently it was my thesis. And they said, go write your thesis now. And I'm like, oh, okay, I guess I'm graduating. You saved some money. <laughs> no, I was, mm, no, I was on scholarship. Oh, so there you go. Even better. <laughs> yeah, I start postdocing earlier than I expected. 
It was very unusual. But yeah, typically in a normal situation, a graduate student would probably get about two or three papers out before they graduate with their PhD. Okay. Would be like the norm. You would probably like an advanced undergraduate student would get like a paper out, may go to a conference. My kids are first authors on conference proceeding. I don't put my name first. Their names are first. That's awesome. Yeah. So like they get that for college. And now, all right, so it's great. Colleges look at it and they think, wow, that's great. But more, I think the more important thing is that when these kids know how to do certain things in labs, right. and this is this happens with a lot of my kids that worked with me, they went to their college and I would help them find an advisor because that's a really important thing about being a biology major is finding an appropriate advisor to okay. help you because you want to find somebody that is still active in their field that when they write a letter of recommendation makes for sense. you, it helps. You have an impact, yeah. That they have an impact. And also too importantly, a person that's invested in you and in what your career goals are. That's extremely important. You can't just go to the biggest name in in a university sure. that has no, that you're basically a cog in their research wheel. Like you, that you, they have to be invested in you. So like I help them pick a mentor essentially, like who their next mentor is going to be. So when they go into these colleges, they have the research experience. So the mentors are more likely to take them on because there's less training involved. So that experience that they have working with me and say, it's like, hey, I'm a freshman, but I know how to operate a confocal microscope. I know how to do statistics. I know how to do a Western block. You rise on the intern table. (laughs) Absolutely. You go right in and you're in the lab and you're working. And then by you getting in the lab earlier and having that background, you're so much ahead that you're the one that's more likely to get a publication to right. so it basically it puts them on an advanced trajectory right. so that when they apply for graduate schools or medical schools they are more advanced than the other candidates because realistically when you're applying for medical school or graduate school the people that make it through biology programs all of us are making it through with high GPAs okay it would differentiate you got to be intelligent to be there to begin with exactly. let's just call it what it is yeah you're not, it, you know, it, exactly the guy who was sleeping in the back of the classroom he's in, not making in homeroom he's no, not in there he's not making it so you're basically in a classroom of people like you you all have almost a 4.0 GPA what differentiates you as the 4.0 versus the other 4.0 right. and that's your research that differentiates you and it's stuff that's being given to kids at the high school level which is an amazing thing so now yeah. Before before we let you go, I want to touch on one other thing. And we will have you back. And you're also going to be a host. So you're not getting out of this, but you're <laughs> going to be a host. But one of the non-science related issues that have recently happened at St. Joe's, which you were a big part of, was the transition away from the Regents exams. Yes. There was some pushback. There was, But at the end of the day, you, I believe you and Father jointly formed a cadre of people who now are the board or what's the technical term? Yeah. So we had met with a lot of educational leaders in the community and it's also too, it's me, father, Joe Gorglione, our other okay. academic vice, vice principal as well. And he's really taken the reins a lot on okay. this since I've gone to IBR. I would say, yeah, in the beginning, I definitely was the, was a start on it with helping to organize the community, the community because I have, I teach everywhere. I teach at C, I teach at CSI, I teach at Columbia. Right. So I'm you all brought over. in all these industry in heavyweights who yeah. essentially and for anyone who's listening or watching that's not familiar with it. So C is, has gone away from the traditional regions examination requirements put yes. forth by the state. And now it has its own board, for lack of a better term, that's going to oversee the creation and yeah. implementation of a new curriculum that's geared specifically to what these kids are going to need mm-hmm. in college, correct? Yes. And I can, I'll elaborate on that. And now as a college professor, so like now I'm talking as like this dual nature that I Go have ahead. that I'm... You have 50 hats you can I wear. Do. You I, can wear them yeah, all. Right now I'm going to wear, I'm going to put two hats on my head. <laughs> Actually, when you cut the planarius head in half, it has two hats <laughs> too. So go. I'm going to pretend I'm that creature right now. When you have your high school students in front of you and you have a challenging, you want to give them 
the best opportunities that's going to prepare them for college. Right. Now, when I'm a college professor and my students come in, in general, what I notice is that they're very memorization heavy in high school and they're right. not understanding heavy. So there's like a lot of the critical thinking is not developed as a well lot of as it can be. Right. Yeah, it's basically like regurgitation, flush, right. and then they forget. Do again. Yeah. So and I know I that, was there. I remember. Yeah. No. Absolutely. I was too. A hundred percent. Like I, I know this because sometimes I'll have students where I taught them in high school and then they come back in college right. and I'm like, I know I taught you right. that. That's They're and, like, and oh so, no, here we go. Yeah. Exactly. They're like, oh, it's ringing a bell, and then I'm like, it rings a bell. You'll learn it faster yeah. because you're basically gonna your synapses are sort of formed. They just gotta reconnect. <laughs> but with this is that they don't really have that that those critical thinking skills. And a lot of times just skills in general, like skills with, for example, with computer skills, like learning how to use, for example, Excel. Excel is not just a sheet to plug like random things into. Right. It's actually a powerful statistical tool yeah. that our students should be learning how to use different types of programs, for example, for bibliography and for data, for get, gathering data and so on. So what we're doing here and what we did was is with this community, this committee that we had from the colleges, we asked them, like, what are your students deficient in? OK, so we had the list of thing of items where professors were like our kids are coming in like unprepared in these different arenas. And what we did is we squeezed those into the curriculum. And by doing so, we really ended up having to push away from the regents exam examination. So Regents is, it's a good curriculum. In no way would I knock it. I think it's- Yeah. And I don't think, I don't think that C as an institution meant to knock it in any way. I think it was just to better equip the kids for what they're going to face, right? That's what it's always about. It's about better equipping them. So I could give the example from biology perspective. So I would spend, so for example, like if I was teaching Regents biology, I would spend a lot of time, for example, teaching my kids the steps of glycolysis or the steps of Krebs cycle. Because you knew that was on the exam. Because it could show up. Realistically, you can ask a biochemistry major. I'm one of the few that has it memorized, but I'm like probably one in about, I don't know, 10,000. Okay? That knows it. That knows right. it. That's not something that you need to memorize. Okay. So we're sitting there spending weeks on this or on the steps of photosynthesis rather than teaching the big picture. Xylem, phloem. I remember some of that <laughs> stuff. Come on. Light, dark, light, up, light, down. Yeah, light reaction, chloroform, dark chloroform, chloroform. It's not bad. I'm chloroform. That's pretty good. No, no chloroform. It's not chlorophyll. Oh, chlorophyll. chlorophyll. Yeah, chloroform well, no. may make you yeah. go to sleep, but that's like when teaching photosynthesis. <laughs> it's like the equivalent the of light chloroform. reaction, the dark reaction. Yeah, it's exactly that. We took a lot of the heavy memorization out and implemented more skills-based types of curric- the types of curriculum in. Right. So that is really important because when they get to college – that's what they need to be able to do. Right. Nobody, like you, Yes, there are going to be certain aspects in early classes where you may have to memorize, but you still have to be able to critically evaluate what you're reading and understand what you're reading and be able to answer questions about it. And that's what we're do- we did with the curriculum at C. We made a pre-AP curriculum, which the AP curriculum in general is a critical thinking right. curriculum. Pre-AP, I should say, uh, framework using our curriculum. So – that's what we're doing is that we're giving the kids access and basically teaching them the skills that they need in order to be more prepared when they reach college. Which is what C is all about. And it's interesting because since my time working there and doing stuff with St. Joe's, it's always a step ahead. And it's only a step ahead because it's interested in getting the kids better prepared for college. The idea is to get them to college and have them come back and say, hey, this is easy. This is exactly what I learned. This is exactly what I was prepared for. And I think that the parents 
here in Staten Island and also the students are just so programmed with the regents because that's, it is what it is. Like I, I had regents, I'm 40 yep. and I'm sure everyone's had regents and it's not, it wasn't to veer away from the traditional. It was to just create a new trajectory for success because the old model is old and there's a new and better way to do things. And at St. Joe's, you guys are pushing the kids forward and it's going to be a much better spot for them to be in come time to make a decision for college. Yeah, 100%. And it really, it is. I look at the success of the students that I've had and I keep keeping a lot of contact with them because we're all in the same. Biology is a small community. So they come back, we're in contact with each other. And realistically, our kids do fantastically. I just saw one of ours that graduated last year. She's doing an internship at IBR, 3.9 GPA. Brilliant. Wow. That's amazing. So it's in, in biology. So again, like they, they are really prepared. And that's one of the reasons they stay there too, because clearly I wear a lot of hats and I'm right. old and exhausted now. But I stay there because I think what we're doing makes a difference. And when I meet up with my students from years ago, they say it. That's the thing that they always say to me is I was so prepared, like what I did in C, whether it be just in C in general, or what I did in C with you or what I did in C with another teacher or another program. It's the stuff that we're doing that gives them that foundation where they can be successful. Love this. Love the whole story. That was a lot to unpack. We're going to have you back again. But before we close, any parting words of something who maybe, this is episode one, so you're going to set the bar here. Episode one of Viking Vibes, you're able to set the bar of how you want to sign off here. Something that you want to tell people about the upcoming school year, something you think that might be important for parents or incoming parents and incoming students to know anything at all? You're putting your kids in really good hands. The If I do not have children, I have cats. Very but similar, though. <laughs> sometimes it's like, <laughs> sometimes the cats might be easier. The- <laughs> but if I had children, I would send them to see. And it's for multiple reasons. It's for the programs that we have, that we're so progressive in our education, for the teachers that are there, that I know them all on a personal level. They're all like family to me. And these people put their heart into it and they're going to make sure that your kid is getting what they need to get in order to be successful. So every person in that building is doing that in their own unique way. We're basically giving your student the best chances for success in their life. And of course, all grounded on Catholic faith and values. So Absolutely. It's, a, it's a 360 holistic approach to education and building awareness and building the spirit of these young men and women. Absolutely. It is. All right. So Dr. G, thank you for being here with us. Thank, thank you, for you for being on episode one. You're going to be you. back for everybody watching or listening. This was episode one of Viking vibes, the St. Joseph by the sea experience. We encourage you to follow, share, subscribe, and we'll see you next time. Bye.